Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 23, recorded on June 25th, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice. So as always, please do your own homework. Uh, So we'll start with the market update, move to Bitcoin news. Got a few interesting articles to talk about. And then we'll finish up with the importance of sound money. Moving right into the market update, the S&P 500 rallied more than 3% on Friday to wrap up a big comeback week for the stock market that followed the worst weekly decline since the start of the pandemic. Investor hopes were raised Friday by economic data that included better than expected new home sales for May and a slight improvement in inflation expectations from the latest University of Michigan survey of consumer sentiment, which was seen as potentially reducing the urgency for steeper interest rate hikes by the Federal Reserve. After all three major indexes snapped three-week losing streaks, with the S&P rising 6.5%, the Dow Jones average gaining 5.4%, and the NASDAQ composite surging 7.5%. The question now is whether the markets have found a bottom or are starting a bear market rally off oversold conditions. And that is the trillion dollar question. Uh, Moving on to Bitcoin news, uh, there's a report here. These are all from Bitcoin.com. Goldman Sachs looks to buy distressed assets from Celsius. Crypto lender seeks restructuring advice. So you may remember we talked about this in the, uh, I think over the past couple of weeks that Celsius, uh, which is a crypto exchange, um, halted all withdrawals uh, due to market conditions. Um, and so, uh, so moving on here, after the crypto lending platform Celsius halted operations on June 12th at 10.10 p.m., two days later, the Wall Street Journal quoted people familiar with the matter who said Celsius was hiring restructuring lawyers. At the time, the Wall Street Journal said Celsius was looking to hire the bankruptcy and restructuring law firm Aiken, Gump, Strauss, Hauer, and Feld. However, a new report from the Wall Street Journal claims sources say that Celsius is now working with a different restructuring advisory firm. Uh, But anyway, uh, they froze withdrawals. They are suspected of being insolvent and might have to file for bankruptcy. Uh, So then this news came out on Goldman Sachs and... uh, Coindesk's Tracy Wang reported that Goldman Sachs is looking to raise $2 billion from investors to buy up distressed assets from troubled crypto lender Celsius. Uh, And that came from two people familiar with the matter. Uh, And then uh, they go on to say that the Goldman Sachs deal would allow investors to buy up Celsius's assets at potentially big discounts in the event of a bankruptcy filing. So... The vultures are circling, but it is interesting to, uh, you know, that Goldman Sachs uh, is, is involved here. Um, they must uh, see some value in uh, the assets that they hold. And, um, uh, you know, hopefully the people that uh, have their accounts will get their accounts unfrozen and be able to get their, uh, get their assets out of there eventually. Uh, moving on, 
Um, Chinese state-run media warns about Bitcoin's price falling to zero as regulators issue fresh crypto warning. So, uh, of course, we trust everything that comes out of state-run media in China. Um, but uh, China's state-run newspaper, Economic Daily, published an, uh, an article. The article warned that investors should be aware of the risk of Bitcoin prices heading to zero amid the recent crypto market sell-off. Bitcoin is nothing more than a string of digital codes, and its returns mainly come from buying low and selling high. Um, and, and then they added, in the future, once investors' confidence collapses or when sovereign countries declare Bitcoin illegal, it will return to its original value, which is utterly worthless. Uh, then they go on to talk about the lack of regulation in Western countries, which has helped create a highly leveraged market full of manipulation and pseudo-technology concepts, um, which is described as an important external factor contributing to Bitcoin's volatility. And... Um, they also went on to say that virtual currency trading and speculation seriously endanger the safety of people's property and breed gambling, illegal fundraising, fraud, pyramid schemes, money laundering, and other illegal and criminal activities. It also claims that they disrupt the country's economic and financial order. Well, my take on this, uh, again, first of all, can't trust anything that China tells you, but um you know while it's true that there is a lot of fraud and highly high leverage and and ponzi and all this other stuff in the crypto space in general that's why we make a distinction between crypto versus bitcoin uh bitcoin uh is really nothing at all like any of the other cryptocurrencies in the fact that it's totally decentralized doesn't have the founder walked away um it has a hard cap, uh, uh, yeah, 21 million, and many of these other uh, uh, cryptocurrencies, most of them, in fact, uh, can change their um, monetary policy whenever they want. And uh, so while Bitcoin has definitely been rocked uh, by all of these uh, liquidations that have been going on and with these hedge funds and and these uh, uh, other operators that were involved in staking and all this other stuff. Um, it uh, definitely seems to have stabilized around the 20,000, 21,000 level, which is above the prior peak. It did dip down to 17,000 at one point uh, last weekend. Um, but there was a very large sale that occurred on Saturday. So what ends up happening is on the weekends, whenever there's any activity selling or buying tends to cause the price to move because it's a very, you know, illiquid market on the weekends. And, um, there's really not that many coins that are actually trading at any one time. So, you know, a big transaction can trigger a big price move, but. Anyway, long story short is I don't think uh, Bitcoin's going to zero. Uh, it might take a while to uh, to get back to its all-time highs. But frankly, if you're buying at this level and it holds its value, it's it's doing its job as a store of value. And, and, it, and if you step back and look at it over a longer-term period of time, it's pretty consistently demonstrated that 
it is a store of value, uh, although subject to a lot of volatility as a new asset class. So, uh, but we appreciate the warning from the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, next, Fed, Fed, Fed Chair Powell says we are not seeing significant macroeconomic implications from crypto sell-off. Uh, Federal Ch Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell testified before the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs um, on Wednesday. Uh, he was asked uh, whether or not they've been tracking crypto activities and what the implications are. Uh, we are tracking those events very carefully, of course, he said. Uh, we are not really seeing significant macroeconomic implications so far. The principal implication is really what we've been saying and others have been saying for some time, which is that this is a very innovative new space. Really, there's a need for better regulatory framework. Um, the same activity should have the same regulation no matter where it appears, and that isn't the case right now. Um, and uh, he said that uh, he went on to talk about inflation and how they're determined to bring down inflation. So. Um, so I think, and I think, you know, uh, not that I trust everything that Powell says, but I do think that, um, you know, the crypto and Bitcoin market cap, you know, uh, is relatively small relative to all of the other, uh, investable assets like real estate or stock market or bonds, the bond market, even, which is even, you know, is very large. So, you know, any type of uh, disruption to the crypto market, given the size of it, um, you know, sort of is reasonable to, to say that it wouldn't really affect um, the other markets that, that much, at least not at this point. So, uh, and then uh, the last article is uh, Three Arrows Capital. Uh, allegedly owes Voyager Digital $655 million. Crypto firm is unable to assess if it can recover the funds. So uh, you may recall, we talked about this, that uh, uh, Three Arrows Capital, which is a crypto hedge fund um, that uh, got into some trouble with some of their positions with all the turmoil in the crypto market. Uh, now they're kind of going through and figuring out who owes who and uh, Voyager Digital, which is a Canadian listed company, it's listed on the TSX. Um, uh, now has found out that they're owed, or has disclosed, I guess, that they've owed some. They're owed some money. Uh, that Three AC potentially defaulted on a six hundred fifty-five million dollar loan, and so they're hoping to get some money. And so, as a result of that disclosure. Voyager Digital stock price dropped like 50% on the TSX. Um, so more fallout for, from the uh, unwinding of, uh, of all this leverage and, uh, and, and these uh, crypto hedge funds. So uh, we haven't seen, you know, at least so far this weekend, um, Saturday night, haven't seen anything today uh, affecting Bitcoin um, uh, this weekend. So <clears throat> we can hope that the Bitcoin liquidations that were triggered by this whole unwinding of all this leverage and uh, uh, 
trading and all these crypto trading and hedge fund platforms has run its course, um, but it may not have. And so we'll just have to kind of pay attention here in the next uh, couple of weeks to see if there's any, any more activity there. Okay. Uh, so I thought, uh, this week I'd um, give a little talk about the importance of sound money um, and uh, I'll also this is also be in my blog so there's some charts and stuff in in there uh, that you can take a look at um, uh, if you're interested so one thing I have been talking about a lot lately is the frustration that I have that I can't save my hard-earned money in dollars in a bank account and know that those dollars will buy the same amount of goods and services in the future. And most importantly, in retirement. And that's because of inflation. So even a small amount of inflation, which is the Federal Reserve's stated policy, 2%, steadily erodes your purchasing power over time. So in times of higher inflation, as we've seen during the 1940s, the 1970s, and even today, uh, you know, we were at 8.6% as of the most recent CPI report, this situation just gets worse. Um, now, I've talked about uh, shadow stats uh, before, and they have a chart on the dollar, and uh, they go back to 1985, and they do a, their own calculation of of, uh, of what the, the index is. But, you know, overall from 1985 to today, the dollar's lost 40% of its purchasing power. That's pretty significant, um, you know, over that period of time. So one of the other problems that inflation causes in my mind is, is it forces us to have to save our money in investments like stocks, real estate, cryptocurrencies, art, collectibles, and all other manner of assets in order that we generate a higher return than the rate of inflation. So the problem is this requires risk-taking and a good deal of knowledge of the respective markets that you're in. So the average person is up against professionals in this game. You know, and unless you have an edge or the ability to pick great investments and hold them through market cycles, um, which is tough and also very uncommon. Uh, you're far more likely to lose money by buying high on exuberance and panic sell on the low. In fact, you know, emotions are really an investor's greatest weakness and those who can really control their emotions and have a portfolio strategy and a plan um, tend to do better. Uh, inflation also encourages outright speculation using leverage. So, you know, borrowing options, leveraged ETFs, things like that, which push investors even further um, out on the risk curve. And then, of course, all of this speculation drives up asset prices beyond what their true values are. And that's what creates bubbles and ultimately ends in a crash. One of the side effects of monetary policy and the Federal Reserve manipulating interest rates is that it really destroys price signals in the market. So periods of low interest rates encourage massive risk-taking and speculation. We've seen that. 
while periods of rising rates result in massive destruction of value as investors sell everything and bubbles deflate. And we're seeing that now in the current bear market that we're in. The Wall Street firms not only weather the storm, they profit from all the volatility, all the ups and downs, and the average investor gets wiped out. Another feature, if you'll call it that, of our monetary system is the need for expansion of credit in order to grow. That means borrowing more and more money over time by governments, companies, and individuals. In fact, many Americans have a debt cycle that looks a lot like this. You start with student loan debt. You know, these have to be paid back. They can't be removed by bankruptcy. That's why student loan forgiveness is so popular with politicians because it's another way for them to get reelected. Uh, but again, a very controversial subject uh, as far as forgiving student loans because, you know, who, who gets it, who doesn't? Is it fair for people who have paid their loans off um, and so on and so forth? Then you get a car and so you have car debt. Um, then you have credit card debt. And I remember when I was first starting out um, in my career, I had one of those little credit cards they give you, you know, when you're in college, it was a $500 balance to start with, 19.8% interest, I remember. And uh, of course, the, they, as soon as I started working, they expanded the, uh, the credit limit. But uh, it seems like as soon as I paid off the card, something else came up and then I had to charge it up again. And then it was just like an endless cycle. And it literally, it took me years to, to break that cycle and, and, and get to where I was paying my credit cards off every month. Um, and then the, the finishing touch is home debt. So for many people, this is the largest debt they'll ever owe. If you're lucky enough to have enough for a down payment, qualify for a loan and afford current home prices, which seem to be moderating, at least in my area, but still very, very high. So what happens to most people is they get caught up in many or all of these layers of debt. And this, I think, also has further consequences. I think it can force people to stay in jobs that they hate just because they need the money to service all the debt. Or maybe it forces them to jump from job to job to make more money, but they're not really finding their true calling in that process. And I think ultimately the relentless grind of inflation, speculation, risk-taking to keep up with inflation and the debt pyramid just keeps you totally distracted. So you can't focus on things that are more important in life, like family, you know, your health, freedom, or your higher purpose. Um, consumer credit is uh, continue to grow uh, over time. It's now uh, approaching, uh, I think it's $5 trillion, about four and a half, I guess. Uh, and as we all know, and I've talked about before, you know, the U.S. federal debt, public debt is uh, about $30 trillion. And that's not even all of it. If you go to debtclock.org, you can see the whole thing. There's even, there's probably another $170 trillion of off-balance sheet. Uh, you know, uh, entitlement related stuff, Medicare, uh, Social Security, and that sort of thing. So lots and lots of debt out there. So in summary, you know, our money, our monetary system needs inflation in order to operate. 
which debases the currency over time. And it also needs large and ever-increasing amounts of debt to sustain and grow the economy. In the long run, the inflation and mountain of debt and corresponding debt service will ultimately be unsustainable. I mean, it can't go on forever. It can go on a long time, though. Now, if you've ever played the game SimCity, you know that if you borrow too much and you run deficits for too long, eventually your city goes broke and you lose. So what exactly is money? Um, so here's a quote from the principles of economics. Number one, it's a medium of exchange. The exchange of goods and services in markets is among the most universal activities of human life. To facilitate these exchanges, people settle on something that will serve as a medium of exchange. They select something to be money. It is a unit of account. Money serves as a unit of account, which is a consistent means of measuring the value of things. We use money in this fashion because it is also a medium of exchange. When we report the value of a good or service in units of money, we're reporting what another person is likely to have to pay to obtain the good or service. And finally, it is a store of value. The third function of money is, is to serve as a store of value, that is an item that holds value over time. Now this, I laughed when I saw this. It says, consider a $20 bill that you accidentally left in a coat pocket a year ago. When you find it, you will be pleased. That is because you know the bill still has value. Value has in effect been stored in that little piece of paper. Well, except for the 8.6% inflation, but we won't talk about that. So while the dollar and other currencies have served these purposes over the years, the last and certainly not least important aspect of money store value has been an issue for fiat currencies historically and as outlined above, uh, you know, or as I outlined previously, is the main issue with the dollar today. It can't be relied upon as a long-term store of value due to debasement through inflation. So why is gold, silver, or Bitcoin a better store of value than the dollar? Um, well, first of all, uh, and again, you can look at the charts that are that are uh, posted uh, in in the um, in my uh, blog post. But Bitcoin has steadily grown in value over time, even though it is a lot of short-term volatility as a new asset class. It is, I think, so far demonstrating that it can be a viable long-term store of value. It can be used as a medium of exchange and a unit of account since Bitcoin can be sent peer-to-peer -peer without the need for an intermediary. And it is divisible into smaller increments. Um, those are called Satoshis, and there are 100 million Satoshis, or Sats, in one Bitcoin. Now, gold has also steadily grown in value over time and has, has had considerably less volatility than Bitcoin. Um, it actually has even recently outperformed Bitcoin, um, and I can talk a little bit about that later. Physical gold can be used as a medium of exchange and a unit of account, but of course is more difficult to store, secure, and transport, especially in large quantities. Um, similar to gold, silver has also grown steadily in value over time, but it's quite a bit more volatile than gold. Um, but like gold, silver can be used as a medium of exchange, like coins and a unit of account, but it is also more difficult to store, secure, and transport similar to gold. And, you know, because it has less value, <laughs> you need a lot more silver to equate to the same amount of gold. So it's just 
you know, that much more difficult and heavier and all that. So maybe you think, yeah, I should probably get some, some gold or some silver or Bitcoin or whatever. Um, so you might be asking yourself, well, when's a good time to buy? Um, now you might seem like a really bad time um, because everything's crazy and you look at the price action and it's very volatile. And um, all you have to do is go back and look at a chart of the price of gold during the Weimar Republic in Germany during their hyperinflation. And when you see the, the uh, price change, which is extremely volatile and it actually went negative many times, uh, but it was up and down um, between 1914 and 1923. Um, but overall, the price of, of um, gold in Weimar marks went from basically one to one trillion in that time span. So uh, all too familiar. So not many people are predicting hyperinflation in the U.S., but you know, we've seen it in other countries and it certainly doesn't take a lot to, to have a loss of confidence in the currency and for inflation uh, certainly to get worse. Um, here's like some recent inflation rates around the world. Uh, Russia's at 17.8%, Nigeria 16.8%, Poland 12.4%, Brazil 12.1%. Netherlands 9.6%, UK 9%, Spain is 8.3%, the US 8.0, well, I guess it's 8.6 now, India 7.8%, Mexico 7.7%, Germany 7.4%, Canada 6.8%, Italy 6%, South Africa 5.9%, France 4.8%, South Korea 4.8%, Indonesia 3.5%, Switzerland 2.5%, Japan, 2.4%, Saudi Arabia, 2.3%, and China, 2.1%. So other than the last four countries, most of the other countries are, you know, well above uh, the, I guess, 2% uh, ideal, <laughs> if you even want to call it that, uh, inflation rate. I think an important thing to remember is that is although you know we can always hope, um, it seems unlikely that nations will adopt sound money standard voluntarily. What's more likely is they'll try to keep the current system going as long as possible until it collapses. Um, I read an interesting piece, and I'll include a link uh, in in the um, in my blog post uh, uh, from Egon von Greyers, who uh, is uh, with Matterhorn Asset Management. He predicts concurrent deflation and hyperinflation that will ravage the world in his recent piece. Um, he's a bit of a gold bug, um, and so he does have that world view, but he also sees gold, silver, and commodities as really the best investments during uh, the times that we're in. Um, he throws a chart in where he shows uh, you know, relative year-to-date returns. Gold in euros, 9% uh, return. Gold in U.S. dollars, zero. High-yield bonds, minus 16%. S&P 500, minus 22%. 30-year treasuries, uh, minus 23%. Real estate, 
minus 24%, NASDAQ minus 28%, and of course, Bitcoin minus 71% because it was uh, in the 60s and now it's you know down in the 20s. Uh, he talks about wealth protection as a necessity, and he says, uh, and this is a direct quote, for the few people who have assets to protect, physical gold and some silver will perform much better than all conventional asset markets, which will collapse. That trend has already started as the table above, which I just listed the, the percentages shows. Stocks will tank and commodities will soar, he says. For investors, this is best illustrated in the Dow gold ratio. This ratio is currently 16.5 and is likely to find a long-term support at 0.5. Reaching that target would involve a 97% fall of the Dow relative to gold, which sounds incredible today, but bearing in mind the circumstances, this level is certainly possible. A 0.5 Dow gold ratio, for example, could mean Dow 5,000 and gold 10,000. So I would agree with the assertion that gold, silver, and commodities will do well in this environment. But I would also add Bitcoin to that mix since it has many of the same properties as physical gold, only better. Um, it's self-custodied outside the banking system, absolute scarcity, easy to store and transfer. Also, Bitcoin price, I think, is attractive at, the, at uh, these current levels for long-term accumulation. And although I think there's definitely a chance it'll go lower still, um, dollar cost averaging and stashing it away in cold storage is always a good approach for the long-term Bitcoin investor as part of a diversified portfolio. Also, you know, it's you really can't outlaw Bitcoin. Um, you can only really outlaw its conversion into a local currency. And so, um, so far that's, you know, countries have tried that and, you know, then they've given up. Um, I think mostly because they they want the tax revenue from it. Um, um, so, you know, if you sell your Bitcoin, there's capital gain and they get taxes on it. So um, there are other countries that have uh, made Bitcoin legal tender, like El Salvador and Central African Republic. And then there's other countries that have uh, made it um capital gains tax-free. So I guess if you're really serious about Bitcoin and your country outlaws the ownership of it, you you might have to move. Um, and that's, that's probably the sovereign individual uh, kicking in, uh, which I uh, talked about like a couple weeks ago. Uh, so anyway, a return to sound money, whether it's backed by gold or Bitcoin, would be a great thing for the world, I think. You know, money could be saved without concern of debasement, so the fruits of your labors could be stored indefinitely until needed. Um, and a sound money could be a gold-backed currency, it could be silver-backed, or it could be a Bitcoin-backed currency. Um, uh, you know, any of those things would work, but um, fiat currency you know, will we'll always meet the same fate, um, which is the temptation to <clears throat> debase and to print money to solve political problems, um, just like they're doing and have been doing for many, many years. Uh, and they've been doing in spades recently with COVID and with everything else going on. Um, the temptation is too great. 
And so uh, it, it always, and if you go look back in history, it always ends the same, even going back to the Roman Empire. So true price discovery could exist in asset markets, you know, uh, when this happens. And um, maybe we can eliminate the massive leverage, which would mean that credit would actually go to productive purposes instead of speculation. And again, you know, we, if we fix the money, I think we fix the world. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at N-I-C-K-R-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.